welcome to episode three of the TWM Real Estate Podcast. This is a podcast that looks at the influences and influencers of real estate, and it's supported and produced by TWM. I'm Sean O'Neill. I'm a director and co-owner of TWM. And with me today, we have John Hannigan, who's the CEO of Circle VHA. Um, so welcome, John. Thanks, Sean. How are you doing? You're well. Good. Yeah, yeah it's great good. to be here, and thanks for the invite. No problem at all. It's great to have you. Okay, so let's get straight into it, I suppose. Sure. So, what's a VHA? <laughs> what's a VHA? Very good. Well, the V stands for voluntary, and the H&A are housing associations. And uh, what we are, are uh, mostly large organisations. Uh, the larger organisations uh, look after social and cost rental homes uh, across the country. And uh, we there are about 400 of them in total around the country. Uh, vast majority, about 90% are small. They've got less than 10 properties. Uh, and then you've got a small number that have between 100 and maybe 1,000 properties. And then you've got about seven, eight that have more than 1,000 homes uh, across the country. And they're called voluntary because all of our boards, our board members, are doing it on a voluntary basis. They don't get paid. They have the same liability, the same responsibility as any paid director of any PLC or any other uh, limited company, but they do it for free. And in the majority of cases, they don't actually claim any expenses or any costs at all. They literally are giving back to the communities or to the organizations that they're, they're working for. So that's what the V stands for, voluntary. And the Housing Association is, as I said, we look after and manage properties. At the moment, the sector probably has about uh, over 55,000 homes in it uh, that are utilised for people from the social housing waiting list or a new tenure that we introduced uh, last year which is the cost rental one which is rental market properties at a discount to the market so usually between 25 and 40% below the market rent. So they, they kind of act nearly like the, what would have been in the past the local authority housing is it or is it is it does it work yeah, like that? It's very similar uh, and in fairness our, our biggest partners are the local authorities and what we do is we take people from the local authority housing waiting list uh, and they are uh, nominated to us for us to consider for our properties uh, and then the properties are uh, let back, effectively let to that individual for whatever time they want them for and whatever time they are going to live with us. Um, I suppose one of the things I should have said is that the voluntary bit also, uh, we're all charities. Uh, all the organisations at this point in time are registered charities, so they come under charities regulator. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, as you can imagine, rules and regulations yeah. that go along with that. Um, we also now have a, an approved housing body uh, regulatory authority as well. So we're, we're massively regulated at this point in time, which is a good thing. Gives yeah. confidence to everybody. Good. Like Before we get into Circle um, itself, um, how does somebody get into this? Like, it, it, it seems like it's an industry that has really grown in the last number of years. Mm. There's a huge amount of focus on it. Um, but how do you get involved? How do you become CEO of Circle Housing <laughs> Association? <laughs> Took a long time. <laughs> uh, well, to be quite honest with you, the majority of people that come into this industry don't come into it uh, deliberately. So it's not usually seen as a career path for many people. There are those who are, uh, who've seen it, uh, understood it from early stages and said, yeah, I want to be part of that. But a large proportion of the people who would work in it would work in it from the point of view of coming to it accidentally. I did. Um, I started out life as an accountant. I was going to be the ultimate capitalist. You know, I wanted to be a partner of a large uh, top four organization. I was on the kind of trajectory towards that uh, and was kind of enjoying the lifestyle that that gave you. Uh, and what happened to me was uh, I had a client who was a, a housing body and this was in the UK at the time. And they 
kind of said to me, will you come out and have a look at what we do uh, on the ground? Actually, come and meet some of the people that we house, some of the people that we work with. Um, uh, so I did. And uh, when I was out with the, the client at the time, the chief executive of the particular organization I was with handed me a set of keys. And he said, I want you to hand the keys over to, to our, one of our new tenants. And I said, why? <laughs> you know, being the accountant, I was thinking, I don't see how this is going to bring value to what I do for you. And I got to hand the keys over to somebody who was getting a home for the first time coming out of homelessness. And um, when I did, uh, the unbelievable joy that that brought to that individual and their family member um, kind of affected me, I have to be honest, mm. at the core. And I kind of went away thinking, gosh, you know, I've, I want to rethink where I'm at and what I'm doing. And I got an opportunity to go and work for that client. Then uh, they offered me a job later on and uh, kind of progressed from there to being finance director. From there, um, I moved back to Ireland as a finance director of one of Ireland's largest associations, which is Respond which many people will know. Mm. And uh, from there, kind of got into general management and they gave me an opportunity to work in the uh, Ireland, across Ireland, uh, to run an eastern region, which was everything from uh, Monaghan down to Wexford, basically. And then to uh, work in South Africa as well. And that's where it really cemented my love for what I do today. And hopefully you'll hear it later on or you'll hear it during the, the podcast that uh, the enthusiasm I have for what I do is, is sincere, you know, because mm. it's a wonder, we do a wonderful thing. We help people move out of homelessness. We help people afford housing. We help people get a, a foot on the ladder. And home and housing is where we st- everything starts from. Education, you know, uh, health, uh, sometimes employment. And uh, actually things like love, you know, all sort of spring eternal from the home. And so that kind of got me involved. Um, And I was fortunate enough then to apply for a job with Circle. And they offered me the job, which was great. Tell us a bit bit about, we go into Circle, like, I mean, what is it? How has it grown? You know, Mm. give us a bit of background on on, on Circle itself. Circle is not that old compared to the rest of the sector. Circle is about 20, it's actually 20 years old this year. So we were effectively created in 2003. uh, And the the people who started it then realized that there was a real need. We were focused really on Dublin and Kildare. That was where the, the major work was done for Circle at that point in time. And over the years, we've kind of focused on building up our portfolio of homes and uh, services within those kind of counties. In 2017, I was brought in as CEO and I was kind of given the remit to expand what we were doing because there was a growing need, a huge need in Ireland, and it's only gotten worse over the years. Um, And I was given the opportunity then to uh, look at how we would develop across other counties. And at the moment, we're in about 21 different counties now, uh, providing about uh, services to roughly nearly almost 3,000 homes, uh, 3,000 families, uh, which equates to nearly 7,500 people that are actually uh, receiving our services. And we provide primarily general needs housing, so that's housing for families. Uh, But we also have some older person housing. We look after uh, some people with disabilities as well. Um, And we're the National Pathfinder organization now for housing with support, which is a a new kind of tenure that's coming, uh, which is keeping people in their home longer, uh, which means that they don't have to go to a nursing home. So we provide support with our partner alone, uh, which many people will know, great charity and great people mm. working there. And they help us provide the on-site supports for people with um, with medical needs that don't, don't quite qualify for going to a nursing home. But um, in the way we normally provide housing in Ireland would normally mean that they would probably go a bit earlier. Um, 
So, yeah, we employ about 60 people at this time, uh, continually growing. We have a pipeline of new homes coming along, which will be about 3,000 homes over the next two and a half years. And uh, we're very excited about the opportunity to do that, but actually realize it's still not enough mm. in the current Irish context. Um, we need an awful lot more homes and we need an awful lot more people providing homes. Like, I mean, everyone's out there looking for like, looking for homes and the, you can, everybody knows about the supply shortages. How do you get your stock? Like, where does, where does that come from? Yeah, good question. Uh, very good question. <laughs> Sometimes it's quite difficult to find housing. Uh, and I think the general public understand that as well. If you're a first-time buyer looking for a home, it's it's a nightmare. If you're trying to rent somewhere at the moment, it's a nightmare. The, the queues are huge. We're slightly, uh, we benefit from the point of view that we do get a lot of funding from the state to, to do it. So at this point in time, for example, uh, we would be talking to all kinds of builders and developers right across the country. As I said, we've got 3,000 homes in, in the pipeline. We're working with some great household names uh, which people will know I won't go through them today but uh, they're out there uh, working with us to provide not just the social and cost rental but to ensure that there's other tenures available like first time buyers like uh, affordable purchase for the local authorities as well as normal homes that people just want to either trade up to or trade down to um, so we we work at the moment as I say we're, we've got about uh We've got about 15, 16 sites that are active in terms of being built. Um, we're hoping to get that up to about 25, 30 in the next, uh, next, next year or so. Um, as you can imagine, housing is not something that happens overnight. It takes a lot of time. Uh, so we are working on projects that are sometimes five years old. We've just started, well, when I say we started, we, just after Christmas, we started one in Railway Street in, in the heart of Dublin City. It took us 12 years to get it on site. Uh, and that's because of bureaucracy, it's because of funding, it's because of where we were as an economy uh, and, and because we made mistakes about how we would do things as well and we were a bit naive at times about how we would get things across the line. But thankfully it's being built now, so in in their city there'll be 47 new apartments for families uh, that'll be delivered by March next year. And where, like, where, where do your, where, who are your customers or where do you get your customers from? Like, I mean, yeah. are they, I mean, you mentioned the, the local authority housing lists, mm. but is that, is that mainly where they come from or, or who, who, who yeah. applies to you? Yeah, the way the housing system works in Ireland, particularly the social housing system work, uh, they, the customers, the tenants, uh, come 100% from the social housing waiting lists of the local authorities. You can't apply directly to a housing association, doesn't matter how big or small they are. Um, and they're, they're about, we're about the fifth largest in the country so there are five four others that are bigger than us uh, but you can't actually apply directly to them you can only go through the local authorities and the local authorities apply a, a waiting to the list that they have so people will gain priority because of different requirements that they might have um, and as at, at that at some point the local authority will nominate somebody to a housing association but only if they've ticked a particular box on the application form that you have to apply for uh, through the local authorities, which lots of people don't know about. They, they go through the process, they went to a local authority or go online, they fill out the form in full as they see it. But there's a couple of boxes that are really pertinent, really important, that if you don't tick them, then you don't get offered one of the 55,000 homes that could be available within a, the housing association sector. Uh, so we say to people, I think it's in part, section eight, you need to go through all and where you see AHB, which is your approved housing body, that's us, you tick the box. Mm. And that means that you will be considered then for not just local authority housing, but also for social housing provided by ourselves. There is a new tenure, which is different and works differently, and that's the cost rental. Mm. 
Mm. And that's brand new. Uh, we are the only sector who are providing it at the moment, although the Land Development Agency, the LDA, are getting into that space as well, as will the local authorities, hopefully over the next few months. Uh, but up to now, the approved housing bodies uh, have provided about uh, well, nearly a thousand homes in total. And that is on a different basis. Mm. Unfortunately, because there are so few of them at the moment, it's normally done on a lottery basis. The qualification methodology is slightly different. So if you're earning more than €35,000 uh, a year, you wouldn't qualify uh, because you qualify for social housing below that. Above that, you qualify for, uh, you can qualify for cost rental as long as you don't earn more than 90000 And that may seem like a big figure. Yeah. But as we know, in Dublin, that doesn't get you a mortgage. Uh, it's, you, it may not even get you a house to rent in Dublin. Um, so the cost rental is really good uh, because you're getting a home for life with security, which you don't get in the private sector at this point in time. Um, there's no means by which we evict you, unless, of course, you don't pay your rent, usually. Mm. Uh, or there's very significant antisocial behavior uh, involved. Uh, but generally, it's a home for life. We uh, we do offer a home for life. And you can only do that, unfortunately, at the moment, on a lottery basis. So you make your application, you give us your details, you go into the machine, and the machine spits out the names that get allocated to the relevant uh, homes that are available. So it's a... Unfortunately, we're hoping... It's so they're so scarce at the moment uh, that it's it's hard. But we're hoping that over the next two to three years that you'll see an awful lot more of those homes coming online, which will make it easier for people to be able to apply and, and be guaranteed a home. You mentioned the cost, um, the cost rental model. But what, what other models are there for people who are who are maybe trying to own their own home? Is it is it a, mainly a rental model? Or are they do they yeah. can they buy or, or you know is there is there any options like that? There are there there are some options. We don't offer a buy option, unfortunately. Mm. Our sector is uh, we buy and build social housing and and cost rental housing to stay in our stock in perpetuity. So uh, we. Uh, we don't sell our stock, so there's no right to buy as there is with local authority housing. Um, so that it's purely a rental model for the approved housing bodies. But in fairness, the local authorities do offer uh, a, a, an affordable sale per or affordable purchase option, which actually is the best option in the market at this point in time because they off also offer the funding from a mortgage perspective as well. And that is usually at a rate much, much lower than you would get from a bank. Problem is, you probably have to be refused by a couple of banks before you qualify to get it. Um, and I know that the state and the government are looking at how they might deal with that and how they might ease that. But uh, it they tend to be almost homes of last resort in terms of purchase. But if you can get an affordable purchase one, it's absolutely worthwhile thinking about it because the state will put in some equity. Uh, I think it's up to 20%. You can buy that out over time as your circumstances improve. Uh, and it's at a mortgage rate that's much lower than you get from a bank. So, mm. you know, people should be, if they're, if they're in the house market and they can afford to buy something, um, or they have enough money to put towards purchasing a house, they should go and actually have a chat with their local authority about the potential for affordable purchase. And just, just getting back to your, your own stock, like how do you work with developers? Like, I mean, yeah. you know, how do, how, do you, how does that all work in terms We're of... We're great partners. <laughs> <laughs> but you'd expect me to say yeah. that. Um, the reality is that we've been very fortunate. We, we, as I said earlier, we work with some really uh, household names that people would see advertised on telly on a regular basis. Uh, but we also work with smaller uh, local builders and local developers. Uh, what we do is we... we, we First of all, we'll talk to everybody. And if they want to go to our website, which is, you know, circlevha.ie, we have actually a developer's portal or hub uh, where you can see the kind of requirements we have. 
we will build and work with uh, developers on homes, as few home as five homes, up to, at this point in time, we have one deal, which is 240 homes, uh, which are mostly apartments on that particular one. Uh, we're also working with another approved housing body uh, to look at 1,000 homes in a particular location mm-hmm. in Dublin. So we, we would work across the whole gambit of sizes. So it doesn't matter if you're a small developer or a big developer, we would want to talk to you. The, what we can offer is an opportunity to work with a professional team. And I think most people think, oh, they're charities, it's going to be soft, it's going to be not going to be really well organized. The reality is we work, we have professionals working in our teams. So we have professional engineers, we've got professional valuers, we've got professional uh, uh, QAs, QSs. Uh, everybody you'd expect to see in the team or as part of the team and really good solicitors that we work with as well. We're not for profit. We don't look to generate a profit out of what we do. We also want to work on a reasonable basis with developers because everybody and, and a lot of developers get a bad remit at the moment where there are people saying, oh, they're making huge money, huge money. I don't believe that's the case, uh, particularly since interest rates have gone up. You know, the, the reality is that actually developers are getting really squeezed when it comes to the profit. Uh, and what we want to do is find a fair price and a fair way of dealing with it. Uh, we also recognize that right now, sometimes valuations can lag behind what the cost of building something is. The good thing is that the state has have recognized this and when it comes to social and the cost rental homes they're willing to look at what the costs are as long as the costs are reasonable then they're helping us to actually afford to buy those homes or to build them directly and that's the other thing we do now is we've kind of moved we before 2010 we were all kind of we did a lot of direct build as a sector since 2010, we've kind of switched over to the turnkey or forward purchase model which de-risks it a lot for us um, Maybe not so much for the developer, but certainly for us. Uh, but we're actually moving back to the way now as well. And the state would like us to do an awful lot more directly. So you build your own estates. Build our own estates. Yeah. Build our own uh, blocks of apartments. Uh, but we need land to do that. So yeah. we want to talk to developers and builders who have land who uh, may have planning, may not have planning, uh, about what we can do with them and help them either transfer the land to us at a reasonable price, uh, depending on what the planning situation might be, or to work with us to build the properties out where, where we can do. So uh, we we would expect, uh, normally a scheme in Ireland takes anything from two to four years to actually get to fruition. And that's getting it through planning, uh, making sure all the, the finances stack up for it, that it's viable. Now, obviously, that's quite a long period of time for any developer to hang on and work with somebody. But the reality of it is, once you get involved with us, You've got a guaranteed partner. You're only selling to one person or one organization. You're not having to try and sell 20 or 30 homes through 20 or 30 different solicitors. You're dealing with one solicitor, one buyer, and a very willing buyer who usually wants to problem solve any issues that are there. And I think from dealing with you in the past, you, you have to, you can only really commit to when it's got planning. Is that correct? At or can, or can moment, you, are you a yeah. bit more flexible than that now? Well, there's a bit more flexibility now. In reality, our our primary process would be uh, the forward per, the forward purchase, i.e. effectively a turnkey. So mm. when things are built, we'll do a contract at the very beginning. We'll set out an agreed price as far as we can do. Obviously, with inflation being what it is, that has to be taken into account now, and it is. And state recognise that that's a, a real difficulty for developers. And we, uh, so the forward purchases are preferred, absolute preferred. Uh, but we will, 
we will look at other possibilities. So we can, for example, we the state give us a, a degree of funding that we can draw down early and use that to help fund upfront costs uh, for setup or the site or whatever it might be. So developers have the opportunity to, uh, I suppose, move things along quickly with us if they get involved with us. Uh, so yeah, we 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 will look at sites that don't have planning. Probably not our most preferred route but it would depend on where it is and what the local authority you need is in that particular area the great thing is that the state and I, you know state gets a lot of stick at times uh, but in fairness uh, my sense of the housing for all strategy that's out there a plan that's out there is that it actually does actually address a lot of the issues it has put a huge amount of money behind it uh, so money tends never to be the problem at this point in time it's resources to build it's the scarcity of land it's planning yeah. Um, you know, well, I was going to come to I was going <laughs> to come come to the, the the blockages, I suppose. Like, yeah. I mean, obviously, you have a huge need uh, for housing, as yeah. does the, a lot of the, a lot of people in the state. Um, but where where do you see the blockages at the moment to to delivering? That's a great question. I, I'm, uh, I've said the p word, so I may as well repeat it now at this stage. Uh, the reality is that planning has been a uh, difficulty. Uh, the state have done quite a lot in terms of trying to revise it and bring out a whole new planning bill in respect of the Planning Act. Uh, I'm not sure it goes quite far enough yet. Uh, I think what we need is certainty and simplicity. And at the moment, I don't think we have either of those, even in the new system. Uh, it's still a way to go on that. Uh, just to give you an example, Circle has over 300 homes that are in judicial review. Um, primarily because the local area is not really keen on what we want to build despite the fact that it will give 150 nearly 300 families sorry uh, the opportunity uh, to have a a home Hmm. it'll bring uh, economic benefits significant economic benefit to the area that they were being built in Uh, but people don't want them so they take the judicial review because it's easy to do so the cost is not that high now i know the state are trying to do something about that but we're not quite there yet it's not, so ju- it's not just is, a pro- it's not just a problem for social housing though isn't no, it? it's, it's no, a general it's, yeah, it's yeah. for everything and it, and you know i think with the planning system i think for developers particularly and for investors even more so it's the certainty that you need to make it happen and right now our planning system doesn't give us certainty so that's certainly one of the blockages that we have I think the other blockage uh, and it's a very significant blockage as well is the lack of people to build uh, you know back in 2009 2008 we were building 19,000 homes a year now we're struggling to build 20,000 a year and that's at a time when our population has grown significantly since then as well but the reality is we don't have the people doing the work that they used to be there 2010 wiped out a huge number of builders a huge amount of the workforce that we're building went back to their normal countries and and they're now gainly involved in building over there quite happily so bringing them back here is not going to be easy at the moment there's an estimation of a lack of about between 50,000 and 80,000 people to actually build the homes that we need for the current targets. I think the current targets are probably significant below what they need to be. So if you take it that the government has about six months ago announced that they're going to increase the targets from 25,000 a year to 33,000 a year. There is a suggestion uh, that with the forthcoming census results, which should be out, I think, this week or next week, that actually we may have to see that go up by 50 to 100% to actually meet the requirement and the demand of the current demographic, let alone the growth in the future, or the refugees that have come into the country since. So I think we're significantly behind, and the people to build those homes is is a real concern, the lack of those. 
believe it or not, money's not a problem. Uh, I was, that's one of the yeah. things I was going to ask you about. You mentioned financing coming from the state. Is yeah. there other areas of finance you get, or is it mainly state funded? Uh, we we draw down money from kind of three different places. Two of them are roughly the same, but for different things. So the state will provide an approved housing body with 30, up to thirty percent for social housing of the capital cost. So whatever the house cost is, we will we can apply for up to thirty percent of that. Um, if it's for cost rental, we can apply for up to forty five percent of that. So we still have to borrow. 70, 45 to, sorry, 55 to 70 percent of the cost of the house, and we get that. Uh, up to now, it's been a mix of funders, so from the Housing Finance Agency, which is kind of a state bank, uh, from people like AIB, Bank of Ireland, uh, KBC, a few others that were in the market at the time, a couple of international banks that were involved as well. But the reality is that uh, with the change in interest rates, which changed the way things are working, uh, we're kind of now limited back a little bit to the Housing Finance Agency, which is not a bad thing because they know what they're doing, they're really experienced in this, uh, but it does concentrate all the debt risk in one particular area. So from a private finance for the capital side of it, uh, they're the kind of two key funders at this point in time, the state and a semi-state body effectively. But we also get quite, for social housing, we get quite a degree of revenue support as well through what's known as a payment and availability agreement. And without getting too technical, basically what it is, is we agree to provide the housing for the next 25 years for the local authority housing waiting list. So somebody can live there for 25 years and beyond, because the reality is we don't sell the properties. Uh, I know that I'll come back to an issue about this later on, but we don't sell the properties. The properties actually remain in our stock beyond the 25-year period, and people can live there beyond that period as well. So as long as we agree to hold it for that purpose for the next 25 years, then the state will pay us a, a rent uh, to to enable that to occur. That means the tenant pays an awful lot less as well. And if you consider that the majority of the people that are in social housing earn less than 35000 and Remember, 35000 is the national average wage in this country. Um, so we have a lot of people who are employed, but who are on low incomes or uncertain incomes, uh, who are living in our homes as a result of that. Uh, they they would pay anything from uh, between 10 and 15% of the net income per week. Uh, and just so I was going to say, how, how does the rental that the, these people pay compared to market rent? Oh, the individual... Uh, if you're on social welfare, okay, in Dublin City Council uh, area, the likelihood is that you're paying a rent of between uh, 35 and 42 euro a week. So if you can imagine, and that, that doesn't vary depending on size of house or mm. size of apartment. So if you're a one bed apartment, two bed apartment, three bed apartment, uh, or four bed house because you have a larger family, um, yes, there will be some additional for supplementary earners. So if you've got a partner earning, that'll be taken into account. Or you've got an older child who may be worth living there and they're earning, that'll be taken into account. But t- typically you would pay between 35 and 45, 45 euro a week. So if you can imagine a four bed house in Dublin city, city, what would that go for at this point in time? You're talking significant monies. Yeah. So you can see there is a, a difference. But in fairness, the state pays the difference. Okay. Uh, and the reason the state pays the difference is that we, if we have to borrow 70% to fund that house, it has to be paid back in some shape or form. And if we're helping those people who need that, that home to be in that home, then we have to find another way of funding it and that's how the state do it. But think, bear in mind, is that we're not for profit. We're charities. All of that money, if we do make any additional money, as it were, and we don't, we make very little money, that goes straight back into delivering more homes. So okay. the state get a great benefit from what we do because that's what we're there to do. And have you seen, um, talking about the financing, but there has been uh, some typical investing institutions coming in, buying these blocks. Uh, have you seen that as a, as a way forward? All right. 
Yeah, uh, I'm a great advocate for the international funds being available to us to lease properties from. Um, unfortunately, Housing for All kind of killed that market uh, when it was launched because it said we're not doing more. And, and primarily because the state got a bad deal on a number of different deals. You know? And I do do agree, they got a really bad deal. Um, but I think that's more because we didn't ask for the right things. The state didn't ask for the right things. Um, when Housing for All kind of launched uh, and said leasing was kind of gone, kind of lost almost 4,000 homes nearly overnight mm. uh, that were in the pipeline because the leasing wasn't available. The reality is there are vulture funds out there that people you know want to come in, make money and get out. Okay, I don't think we should be utilising them. But there are other organisations that are not vulture funds. There are long-term funders that are here, have been in the market, they're household names that we all know that lend into this market mm. as well. They've been reduced and s- significantly restricted because of this kind of approach that's been taken. Now, I have to say, in kind of recent weeks and months, it's been a little bit of easing on that because I think there's beginning to be a recognition, actually, that if you get the deal right, you get a great benefit for the state, you get a great benefit for tenants, uh, and you do help homelessness. Uh, so we're beginning to see a little bit of that come back in, but it's, it's small at the moment. But we, we, see, it, we see it from our side in terms of um, a lot of, you know, the, the investing institutions, the mm. pension funds mm. from the likes of Germany and France, they'd love to yeah. to invest in social housing. Uh, first of all, it's a good, safe investment from their point of view. Um, and secondly, it's it's a, it kind of solves some of their social responsibility um, yeah. uh, procedures, not that they need to uh, com- comply with, you know, so it's, yeah. it's, it's a benefit for everybody. That's yeah. We are a guaranteed ESG bet. You know, it doesn't yeah. matter which housing association you go to, it doesn't matter where they're providing their homes, it doesn't matter what type of housing they're providing, be it apartments or... The reason I say that is that every house we have to build now has to be net zero. Uh, so, you know, you're guaranteed an A2 or an A1 home. So yeah, you're immediately, you're immediately hitting the box. <laughs> yeah. In terms of governance, we are massively regulated. You know, we have uh, regulation, direct regulation in terms of approved housing body regulatory authority. It's only three years old, but it's, it is there and it is working really well. But we're used to it because they've been there kind of voluntary basis seven years before that. So it's not new to us and we've been doing it on a long-term basis. And you have the charities regulator we have to comply with the company's acts. Um, so, yeah, and in some cases, depending what you do, like Circle, we have a PRSA license, so we can provide facilities management. But we're also regulated by them as well. And for our tenants, they're guaranteed a safety net because we have to register every tenancy with the re- re- uh, RTB, the res- Residential Tenancy Board. Uh, so they have a degree of uh, safety net for them as well. So if a, ten- if a landlord's not performing, you can take your landlord to the RTB and you can get, result you can get compensation uh, and what you need it done done uh, in a proper way so there's a huge so the g part of it is absolutely i think the bit that we're still working on that is still improving is the e bit you know and i think that will be there for a period of time but it is getting better we can see how from an economic perspective from an environment perspective stuff we're doing is really positive and just uh, just in terms of i suppose the, the, the current economy and what's going on with inflation interest mm-hmm. rates you mentioned uh, before, you know earlier about you know builders and, and, and costs going up because of inflation how have you seen um, the current kind of political and not the political the economic situation affecting your yeah. your market uh, quite significantly um, I think everybody got really worried and scared when we were seeing you know double digit inflation over a very short period of time and actually not just double digit but you know multiple of 
decimal points. So you, for example, we saw uh, things like steel and wood go up by nearly 70 to 100% uh, in a very short period of time. So that feeds directly into the build costs, what we're doing. And in fairness to a lot of the uh, developers and builders that are out there, they entered into fixed price contracts. And you know, in, in theory, we're entitled to hold them to that. But the reality is you do that, they go out of business, they go bust. So the state's been really helpful and really good at looking at this on a reasonable basis and saying, okay, if the cost is reasonable, if you've got evidence to demonstrate that that cost is real, then yeah, we will look at a, a modification to the cost for that. Now, what that has done is that's pushed, for example, the cost of a, uh, a three-bed house and to build from, to, say, 265, 268 to nearly 400,000. And that's not uncommon. Um, if you look at certain parts of Dublin, particularly where it's apartments, you're looking at one-bed apartments for 400 to 500,000. Um, and they're reasonable costs. They're costs that can be identified, clarified, not necessarily a significant level of profit built into that. And there needs to be some, otherwise developers don't get their funding to build these things. So, yeah, we've seen a massive uh, impact on the cost of housing as a result and of that. You, and you can still buy, like, I mean, it, any other purchaser in the market will only pay what the, even if you know it doesn't matter what the cost is, it only yeah. pay what the value is. So, yeah. can you you can still proceed to buy even with with costs going up? Yeah, I think I don't want to, uh, people to think there's a free for all out there and they can charge mm. whatever they like and they'll get it because that's not the reality. Yeah, there are, there have been very clear examples of where valuations have have lagged behind what the actual costs are, and what what the state are doing and are are requiring us to be very systematic in and also to provide a lot of independent evidence on is that these costs are real. They're not just made up or they're somebody's you know, finger in the air attempt at getting additional monies. They have to have evidence as to why it's cost that additional amount of money. But in fairness, the state have helped with covering some of those costs where they exist, which allows us to pay slightly more to market value where we have to. Mm. Uh, and the reality is, if you think about it at this point in time, we've over 64,000 households, households, not people, households, on the social housing waiting list. That equates to roughly 150,000 people. That doesn't account for people who are, you know, living with their parents, who are living, uh, who are couch surfing. Doesn't account for the refugees that have come into the country. And we know there's been at least 80,000 of them. Um, So we're trying to provide housing where it's needed. Reality is that's probably going to cost more than the values might be at this point in different areas. Um, But in fairness, as I say, the state are working really hard to try and get that delivered, as are the approved housing bodies. Good. Um, just conscious of the time where it, it flies past when you're when you're having fun. <laughs> but, <laughs> it does. It's um, a great conversation. <laughs> what are the what are the the trends then? Do you, do you do you see for for your sector? Um, well, there's no doubt we need to be producing more and more housing. And I can I'm chair of the Housing Alliance, which are an alliance of the six largest housing associations. Uh, probably the one, we, well, not probably. I know that we deliver ninety percent of the social housing for our sector, uh, and we also produce about forty-five percent of all social housing within the country. And I know that we are looking to expand and deliver more homes, and that's something that we are focusing on. We've geared up our capacity to be able to do that. This year we delivered uh, nearly four and a half thousand homes. Next year we will deliver more than five and a half thousand, and we know we can get that figure to about six or seven thousand uh, with the support of the state as it currently is. Uh, we just need to get on and do that. Um, so one of the trends is more housing to be delivered, without a doubt. I think the other difficulty that we're going to see 
and as well as the positives that come to buzz in the sex. But the 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 difficulties we're going to see is that getting them built, having the right resources there, getting enough people there out there to be able to build them is going to be a significant challenge. But one that we're working on with the state, and I know the state are working hard to try and resolve as well. I think some of the positive trends that you'll see is that more and more people will get housed. I know there's a very difficult spike in the uh, homelessness figures right now, but there is a real focus both in our sector and in the local authority sector to get that number down. Uh, It's taken time. It will take time. Um, We're not going to see much of an easing in terms of the refugee issue. So we know that there will have to be some additional consideration given to that by the state and by the our sector and the local authority sector to make it happen uh, but I know there's a real focus on doing that so I'd be positive that we'll be doing more I'd be positive that more people will get housed uh, right across the, the the need that's out there yeah it's obviously it's it's a, a sector that's only going to get bigger I think and more important yeah. um, so I hope so yeah. I hope so and not because we want to grow big I think if you were to talk to any of the CEOs of any of the organisations that uh, I'm in our sector they're genuinely focused on what we need to do, which is provide housing for people in need. It's not about being bigger because we don't earn huge salaries. You know, we don't get paid bonuses. Uh, we don't distribute profits. It's about delivering homes. It's about making sure that people get what they need. Uh, and to do that, we have to do more. Uh, otherwise, we'll just see more and more people getting into desperate situations. Families of three and four people living in one one hotel room. You know, that's that's soul destroying for them. Uh, it's all destroying for us because it means we're failing at what we're supposed to do. So we we are focused on trying to do more. And I know that uh, our sector uh, is really committed to that. Yeah. Well, look, it's been an education for me, uh, John. As I said before, I was uh, I was looking forward to this interview so that I could learn more about mm-hmm. if the VHA is, what does Circle do, what the sector does. So um, I've certainly learned a lot. I hope anybody out there listening has learned a lot as well. And as you said, your enthusiasm for the for your job has certainly come through. So thank you very That's much it. for explaining all that to us. Thanks for the invitation, Sean. I really appreciate it. And if anybody wants more information, please go to our website, which is www.circlevha.ie. Um, loads of information there uh, or you can get in contact with us directly great thank Thank you you very much thank you you can find out more about TWM on twmproperty.ie and this podcast and future episodes will be available on our website Uh, you can also listen wherever you find your podcasts and we'll see you in the next one